and your Emphasia podcast. Yo, pick your red up because things ain't that bad. Maybe you should switch the target that you're aiming at. Believe perfection is a beast that they'll never catch. So never waste another day because life moves so fast. And a dream without pursuing, yo, they never last. Another shadow of regret I try to never cast. And always tell a truthful story if they ever ask. Stop the complaining because things ain't that bad. Welcome to the third episode of the Endurance Asia podcast. We've got Jerry Chua joining us this week from Singapore. Jerry's synonymous with the ultra running community here in in this little red dot as well as the uh, the the wider Asia region and she's just got a, a an amazing endurance sport story to tell starting as a as a triathlete racing for Singapore and progressing to be one of the the top ultra runners uh, uh, across the whole of the the region it's a really inspirational story and uh, she gets a uh, she um, is very humble, uh, but at the same time goes uh, goes really deep into um, into her personal background and and what's inspired her over the uh, over the years. So um, really happy to be able to to be able to share this story. Um, Please welcome Jerry Chua. The Endurance Asia podcast. And always tell a truthful story if they ever ask. Stop the complaining because things ain't that bad. Jerry Chua, it's very good to be here in your humble abode or your beautiful shop, Little Red Dot Running, um, and to have you join the, uh, the Endurance Asia podcast. Yay, super excited. Thanks, Scott. Yay. Um, I, yeah, I'd like to sort of kick off by how I uh, first came to hear of you, the legend that is Jerry Chua, <laughs> the living legend. But you, um, I was actually, it was, I listened, I'm an avid podcast to listen to, and it's actually when you're on um, the Hong Kong Trail Rockers with, uh, with Vince. Oh, yes, Vince. And he did like a three-part podcast. And I uh, never heard of you before, but I'd lived in Singapore, and I was like, "How have I like not? I'd only been here a year, and just hearing your crazy, crazy story, I was just like absolutely blown away." But then, um, and then reached out to you. I'm sure, along with a load of other people, you got all these Facebook messages from people saying, "Like, oh, I heard these strange people that yeah. want to connect." <laughs> um, but you, uh, yeah, you actually uh, reached out to you about. Um, supporting a uh, a challenge that I was doing because I, I I heard of you doing like the Everesting challenge yeah, in Singapore, yeah. and I decided I did it on a bike. It's a bit harder than doing it, yeah, walking up and down a stairwell. But uh, but yeah, we're doing it for charity, and you like donated Tailwind support. I'm re- representing Tailwind yeah, today. Go as Tailwind. Well. <laughs> go Tailwind. Um, but yeah, I was uh, I was blown away with how like uh, accessible and humble you were, and um, and it's uh, yeah, it's a real delight to sit down with you here today and like share your story again. So yeah, ah, thanks, thanks for the invite. Um, so yeah, with that, like, I'd like to kick off with finding out like where where did it all start for you, Jerry? I'm actually we're in your shop sitting here, and I'm looking up, and there's a tri bike which looks like it's from about 1972 or something. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that would be before my time. But yes, um, I I kind of ran out of space in my house for stuff like my my toys, so some of them come into here. Um, I started in 1993, like properly started. So I was in um, doing my degree in physical education. And so being surrounded by all these guys from all different walks of life, you know, they all played different sports. My classmates were netballers and footballers and, you know, some were runners and, and all sorts of other things. 
and we just got stuck into a lot of different things. And the way it actually started right from the beginning was we all attended a Tiger Balm uh, massage course. And the guy doing the massage course, they needed masseuse therapists at different sporting events. This is in 1993. So he's got like these young PE students who are all eager to do stuff. And so we got to go to a lot of different events and do some massage therapy for them. Um, And one of the first events we went to was a triathlon. I have no idea which triathlon this was. I cannot remember. All I remember is looking around thinking, oh my goodness, this is amazing. I want to do this. And I was so excited. And so I asked my my classmates and my friends and I was like, sign me up for the next one. So that was my very first triathlon, um, that one coming up that they signed me up for. And I didn't know that it was the ABC, this was ABC Guinness Stout, right? This was the days when alcohol, (laughs) beer still sponsored the races. (laughs) It was awesome. So the ABC... It's like Marlboro, like sponsoring an ultramarathon or something, isn't it? But it was awesome. Well, isn't it Courtney DeWater talks about like she drinks beer halfway along a trail race? You never know. It might be good fuel, yeah. Um, Actually, it's pretty good fuel, I reckon, apart from the alcohol. Yeah, yeah, at least the alcohol. Um, but so the ABC Stout International Triathlon in Singapore was a long distance triathlon. And I didn't know this. I had no, I had no clue of distances at the time because I hardly ran. I, I did a little bit of running, and, but we just did stuff that the PE um, course got us to do and we were just active in general. And so... I did this, I, and I actually don't remember the exact distances now. I can probably look it up, but it was probably something like a 70.3 or close enough. Yeah. And so that was my first triathlon. That would have been way before like Ironman yep. concept even came up. Uh, no, that was, Ironman was around. It was around. Yeah, already. yeah. But okay. by the time I Some did, yeah. yeah, Ironman was um, 1968. Was it really? No, no, 1978, first Ironman. There you go. Yeah. I didn't even know that. Okay. Yeah. So that was the that was the official first one in Kona. Right. Yeah. Oh, there you go. I've got so much to learn about um, about triathlon. Oh, it's so, awesome, but yeah. <laughs> so how long did you give you before you'd signed up for what you think might was a 70.3? Um, I don't remember. Maybe a couple of months or maybe a month or so. And, and I just literally went straight into it. I borrowed a bike, crashed it and on my you first crashed. ride. Yeah. You fell over. You heard yeah, no yeah, yeah. shit. <laughs> yeah, that was, a, that was just, you know, the a side portent of, to come. of what, what was to come. Absolutely. Because it had drop handlebars. And I was just like, guys, I'm really off balance here and wobbling all over the place. I went straight into the ditch. Uh, but got, kind of got the hang of it um, and really, really enjoyed it. So after that was, you know, just a slew of triathlons. Whatever I could find, I signed up for. Um, And 98 was my first Ironman. Uh, Before that, I was, you know, kind of got into the national team for triathlon because actually there weren't that many people doing it anyway. This was way back when, you know, the guys used to say, policemen still wore shorts. Yeah. Uh, yeah. (laughs) But it was good fun. It was one of those, like, you know, when a sport's starting out, it's a small community and everyone kind of knows everyone else. You know, you borrow wheels and you have great stories and they all cheer you on and you know everyone. And I love that sort of feeling and that community. Yeah. 
Um, and so without knowing much more, I just thought everyone's talking about Ironman. So I guess, you know, this is what you've got to aim for, right? And, and, and the national one was Olympic distance. Yes, Olympic distance. Um, so I did a, did a few races in Southeast Asia as part of the national circuit, uh, the in, um, Southeast you, Asia circuit. And were you a like sponsored athlete then or like how did it work did you get like a did you get sort of donations from the government or uh, something to hell? how did were you funded well, anyway <laughs> well kind of I think uh, it was it's such a long time ago to be honest but I remember I so I had some sponsorship from um, right at the start Oakley and yeah. Polar and Adidas actually Adidas for some reason, decided to sponsor me as a triathlete. And it was quite bizarre because, of, of course, they didn't have any super specific stuff. But it was great, you know, the running shoes and the running kit. Um, and they were really, really nice to me. So I did have some sponsorship then, yeah. yeah. Uh, I went to... Uh, so I decided, right, going to do Ironman 1998. And the plan was qualify, to so be the first Singaporean to actually qualify for... Ironman Kona because before the, there's this lottery that you can enter and I think you pay like you, we used to pay maybe 100 US or 300 US and you'd be put in the lottery and because not many people come from Singapore yeah. uh, you got a good chance of getting in yeah. and so I thought okay I want to do it the proper way and the right. proper way is to place, or do you have to podium in an age group? Uh, you have to, yes, probably. It depends. So the slots are usually um, on a roll down. If not, so the, the first place will get a slot. And if the first place doesn't want it, it'll roll down. And it depends yeah. on the men's and women's feel, how it's spread out. Mind you, this was a while ago as well. Yeah. Things have changed, have changed. very slightly. Um, but so the plan was I'd do the first Ironman on the circuit and there weren't that many back then um, and it was Ironman New Zealand when it was still in Auckland <laughs> so it's not even Taupo yeah. it's Auckland and uh, I had a great race it was it was crazy it was like all over the place I the swim was super rough it was my first wetsuit swim um, there was hail on the bike and I was, remember riding along going, ow, what is this? And the guy riding next to me goes, it's hail. <laughs> and I was like, what? Uh, and then bright sunshine on the run, uh, which was like, yay. So I finished uh, really well, won my age group. Um, and so I got a slot for Hawaii. And that, so that would be my second Ironman that same year. And so that would have, was that earlier in the calendar year than yes. the New Zealand one? Yes. So it would have been there summer. And New Zealand was in March, I believe, at the time. And then Hawaii was in October. Ah, okay. Yeah. And so what did you do in between? <laughs> I actually trained too hard. And I, I actually burnt out when I got to Kona. And I was just, at the time, I had no concept of overtraining or, you know, you just do it. And I didn't realize my brain was just fried. And I had, I didn't have a great race. I ended up on an IV. I finished it in not a great time, like 14 hours something. Uh, I remember passing a friend on the bike course and he sat down and took a Big Mac out of his drop bag or something. I remember that very vividly. Um, and I was just like, oh. He had a Big Mac, <laughs> oh, Big yeah. Mac in his drop bag. Um, yeah, it means that he would have had to put it in the night before as well. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but it's crazy things like that. And I just remember being so, like, struggling so much on the bike um, and the run. 
um, which wasn't normal for me. Uh, and I, f- I finished, uh, not in my best time, of course, but I'm glad I finished it. Yeah. Um, and it was a good experience for me. At the time, I was maybe a bit young. I mean, so that was your it. first foray into endurance sports. Like normally, you hear a lot of people like, it's their lifetime goal to make <laughs> it to Kona. Like I know... Uh, um, a lady I work with, her husband's just, uh, he's a management consultant for Accenture. He's like really high, but he's just taken a year out to train to get to Kona. Oh, wow. like, um, yeah. And so to do that is like your, to get there in your first <laughs> ever year of doing, uh, doing endurance sports. That's ah, no, crazy. that wasn't my first year. So that was, I started triathlon in 93. Oh, okay. 94. It was the first year of doing yeah. Ironman, yeah, right? Yeah, it was the first year of doing Ironman. Got uh, so at New Zealand, that was also my first marathon. I know, yeah. I'd never run further than that. I was like, oh, okay, great. And then somebody said, is that your first marathon as well? I was like, oh, yeah. But it didn't didn't occur to me. I wasn't a roadrunner. Yeah. Um, I just did stuff. Like people would say, hey, there's a biathlon going on this weekend. Want to join? I'm like, sure. So yeah, you just you just hopped on. You've got one of those like bendy arms, Jerry. <laughs> I call it bendy. Like it's easy to twist. <laughs> yes, Go not very do this. easy. Like, um, I, I think ma- I have major FOMO sometimes. So I'm just <laughs> like, oh, don't leave me out. I want to do it. But then I can imagine that ends up you just like stacking your diary too much. Yeah, right? I kind of do that. H- how did you overtrain? So did you have a coach at that time? You must have um, if you were, were if you were. Mm-hmm training like um, racing for Singapore well yeah we had a we had a coach for the national team but at the time when I was doing the Ironman training I didn't have a coach per se so we would do some swim training with the Chinese coach who was part of the triathlon association um, team and it was was brutal swim training but I needed it my swim is the worst uh, leg for me and then um, in the bike and run, I had a friend who was um, training me uh, or giving me some help with training. So he devised this program for Ironman training that he was like, okay, if you do these sessions as the bare minimum, you should be able to get through it. Uh, this was because I was still in school at the time. Yeah. And this, I remember waking up at, you know, I'd go three o'clock for a ride. Um, finish at seven o'clock, then ride to school for a for lectures. Sorry, that's in the morning. Yeah, you would wake up at three. Yeah, I was thinking yeah, like, exactly. In the afternoon, so <laughs> you woke up at three. Yeah. Hour. Okay. Yeah, so it's no wonder, right? But I was just like, okay, I've been given this, so I got to do it. And um, yeah, I just ran out of steam. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. And, and the thing that ping, like comes to my mind there is just sleep, right? I've yeah. been doing a lot of research about the importance <laughs> of sleep yes. and. Uh, yeah, it's just so cri- so critical to yeah. your overall well-being, isn't it? So I doubt yeah. in that at that stage, if you're waking up at 3 a.m. to go riding yeah. every morning, that you were getting much sleep. I'm I'm probably one of the worst people for sleep. I I advocate it like mad, you know. Definitely, sleep is so important. But I spent probably the last seven or eight years having on you know four hours sleep a night just because and it's catching up with me yeah yeah I totally feel it now now I try and make time to sleep but it just still feels like I'm wasting time sleeping because there's so much other and so many other things that I gotta do as a like a business owner I'm sure that's the case but um I just listened to a podcast recently um by Rhonda Patrick have you heard of Donna Rhonda Patrick and she had this guy on called Walker something Walker um he's written a book on sleep but it it was one of the most enlightening podcasts I listened to. It's like two hours of him talking about the, the importance. And we all know it's important. But yeah. then actually talking about tactical things to be able to 
help you sleep better. Ah, okay. And one of them that I learned, which I've put in now, is actually. I don't know if you've got one, but I have a sauna. We've got a sauna at our condo, and so I nice. go and have like a <laughs> I and have like a, a hot bath and sauna before bed. So if you heighten your body temperature, and then automatically you get out, your body cools down, yeah. and actually uh, cooling the extremities, your feet and your hands, actually helps you go to sleep. I'm obviously not a doctor, but I'm just reciting it. <laughs> but um, are there any tactics that you've tried to be able to help improve your sleep? Um, yes. So. Initially, and and I've had a long practice of this, I fall asleep very easily, actually. So I can be on any moving vehicle. I know my first date with my ex-husband, honestly, I fell asleep in the car while we were driving to the venue that we were going to. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, oops. <laughs> so he I'm surprised you got a second date after I, know. That. <laughs> I must have really charmed him with my snoring. Gosh. But um no, I fall asleep really easily. And I think for me the benefit is that uh, I don't know about now, but before I used to get very good quality sleep in a very short period of time. Yeah. You know, some people take a long time to get into good REM sleep. Yeah. And that's, that's rapid when, eye movement. Yes, rapid eye movement. And when you when you dream when your when your eyes you your eyelids are flickering almost under your eyelids, your eyes are moving. Um, that's kind of how you tell. That's why they call it rapid eye movement, I believe. Um, but when you're in that state, that's when your brain is the most relaxed. And that when you, you, that's when all the recovery processes start to really happen. Your body starts to rebuild. You know, all the good stuff starts to happen. Um, and people in an eight-hour stretch of sleep, a lot of them don't manage to get more than two or three hours of good REM sleep. Uh, and I think so if I sleep for four hours I usually get a good two to three hours REM sleep so that's almost the same as someone having a seven hour sleep but then so the um, yeah the difference being because you get then there's you go into like a deep sleep or you have like the shallow sleep where you're like yeah so I I go into deep sleep very very quickly yeah Um, so if I'm on a bus for example and I've got an hour's journey I'm dead to the world till I <laughs> till I need to get off my stop at my stop usually. The, the other one thing they talked about on there is obviously devices. We know like we just oh, attach yeah. to them I'm constantly, but it's so hard not to go to bed and check stuff on your phone before going to bed. But because yes. you think, oh, especially as you as, a, as, as uh, running your own business, it's like, yes. but I need to get back to them, or otherwise the whole world will come crashing down. It won't. Yeah. It'll still be there in the morning. Yeah. But. So that, that's something that I've had to slowly learn and I'm still trying to learn it. Um, it's a behavior that, you know, you can put your phone down. You can put it away, or turn it over or turn it off even for, say, an hour or two hours. And I think for me, especially before sleep, if I am looking at my phone, um, then the brain starts going and it doesn't shut down quickly enough. So I like if I'm in a race, I try and clear my thoughts you know, as much as possible before I'm about to take a, a quick nap or, you know, a dirt nap or something. Mm. Because otherwise, 
your your brain's still going. You can't relax. Thinking about the next checkpoint, yeah. the next part of it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So putting putting devices away is something that I'm still trying to practice. Yeah, it's yeah. so hard, isn't no, it? No, not uh, there the, yet. The other thing is, uh, like, so they did some research on this podcast that it's worth listening to. That um, talk about people that that read an hour before bed or use yeah. a device an hour before, yeah. and the the differences were just crazy. Like, uh, yeah, um, it's uh, yeah, it's so. I, one thing I try and do is obviously put the phone down but then read or actually I go to and the trouble is I always go to bed listening to podcasts so I just like I'll try and read and I'll put my podcast on and I'll like time yeah. it for 10 or 15 yeah. minutes and just hearing like with my headphones in sort of really quiet for someone talking yeah. gets me to sleep but. so two things that I find really help me sleep um, one is the recovery systems active compression <laughs> it's awesome so, this one here yeah that one so the when I put my legs into it, it's so relaxing that almost because you have to be lying down anyway, that's the best yeah. position for you to be in. And I literally, I always fall asleep when I'm on it. And I'll wake up half an hour later. I thought I'll pop it back on and for another 30 minutes or I'll unzip and then roll over, <laughs> go back to sleep. Yeah. But I find that's really good for me. Um, the other thing is what you were saying about reading. Um, so at home, we've got a we're building our book wall <laughs> and there's all these awesome books i love reading about just you know how you like i just no, don't have time and um so i have a pile of books next to my bed now that i try and get to and i read fast so it's not a problem but there's it's just making that time and i think Learning to make that time is really, really important. It's just not so easy. Yeah. <laughs> I've like literally had to give up my job so I yeah. can <laughs> so get I know. through my stuff. I've seen your post. Yeah, I was like, okay, I've got too many books to read, too much stuff to do. I've got to, have to give it up. Um, but uh, but yeah, I'm like, uh, I'm, um, what what are you reading at the moment? I was going to ask a question I had for later, but I'm interested. Uh, yeah. uh, so at the moment, I am reading this book called uh, Endurance. Um, it's, and it's, it's in my stack. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, it's written by A.A. Lansing um, on the Shackleton journey. Yes. Yes. And uh, I also have Alex Hutchinson's um, Endurance. Uh, I forget. It's That's a also yeah. like, like the two literally must say. It's yeah. a long title and I forget. Um, the it's Curious some, Mind of the Endurance. The, uh, the curi- um, it's in my book list here once. The curiously elastic properties of, of the mind or something to do with endurance. And I know I just... For nowadays, I cannot remember details as well as I can. And I put it down to age. <laughs> no, it is the most forgettable it's, title it's of a book long. ever. But, it's um, super long. Uh, I just finished reading North by Scott Jurek. And, ah, um, okay. Yeah, and, and a couple of others. So the, the theme is there at the moment. I'm still on the ultra and endurance books. And they're really inspiring in that you get that insight to you know what people are doing. And you just think, I don't think I could do that. And then you think, oh, yeah, maybe I can. And you get so excited with stuff. Yeah. I do anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, there are some, there, there are two really um, uh, good book recommendations. Um, so, yeah, back to your, um, so triathlon, so you did Kona 90... Yeah. 98. 98. And um, it sounds like you're a bit disappointed with your performance there, but you must have been proud to have finished Kona though, right? I was delighted to yeah. have finished because it felt like such a, an effort that one yeah um so that also was the year that i'm uh after kona i moved to the uk 
to do my master's in exercise and nutrition science. And so I was, after that, I was in the UK for the next, pretty much the next 12 years. Um, and <laughs> so I did another couple of triathlons after a couple of Ironmans after that. Um, my fastest one was in Austria, the, the third one that I did. And then one more in Langkawi. And I kind of just, you know, gave up after that just because to be honest, training in the UK is not fun. It's miserable, it is cold isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and wet. <laughs> I just thought I need to do something else. And I took up kite surfing. <laughs> oh, I lived in I lived in the northwest, uh, south southwest. Oh, okay, Cornwall. Cornwall. Nice. Yeah. And so kite surfing was great, um, but it still wasn't warm. Yeah. And uh, so in twenty ten my marriage had fallen apart by then um you know we had a good 10 years and uh it wasn't meant to be so i came back to singapore to start again it was a really difficult time then but just before i came back in 2009 i discovered trail running i'd never been trail running much before that so Ever. all of the stuff that you've done before was all like because obviously triathlons is all on road yep. the whole time yep. or, or in the water obviously but yep. You hadn't been on the outdoors no. at all? No, no. I So we went for hikes and, you know, because I lived in Cornwall, it's kind of, you, you do go for hikes and you do go for little runs, but they were all on just the coast path, sort of. Yeah. And I never really got into running properly. I'd just go from my house, you know, out somewhere and then come back again. And I decided to join a running club, which is something that, I've never ever done before and this local running in club Cornwall. in Cornwall my Sinostal running club um, and they were fantastic they were absolutely lovely it's so welcoming and um, I remember some of the guys in the club were ultra runners and that's where I first heard about ultra running before it never occurred to me I didn't even know it was a thing and they took me so with as part of the club I did my first half marathon on the trail, which I absolutely loved. I remember it was the Redruth um, half marathon. I didn't realize it was on trail. <laughs> when I came back, I was like, whoa, that was interesting. Uh, tough and like ups and downs. You know, we don't have that in Singapore. And I just, I really never really trained to run up and down anything. Uh, and they were talking about doing things like the Thames uh, Grand Union Canal or the Thames Canal Trail yeah. and it was you know things like 100 miles and I was like in the first place I didn't know how far 100 miles was and they said oh it's about 160 kilometers I'm like what are you kidding he's like you run that far running 10 miles and I'm just like I'm dead and so I was in complete awe and uh, super intrigued but not because I wanted to do it I was just super intrigued and there was an event, um, so s somehow I managed to convince myself to sign up for my first ultra, uh, the Classic Quarter, and Endurance Life Classic Quarter, that's what it was called. So it was, I think it was 45 miles um, on the coast path, I remember from Lizard to Land's End. It was incredible. It was an amazing day. I learned so much because I was going like a, crazy person at the start and like bombing up and down hills and you know the coast path and it was an incredible day 
and blew my quads up completely. So I went from like first place to third place to sixth place because I was walking backwards in the end. That last 12 miles I thought it took forever. But um, I think that was the beginning of the end. You were just, <laughs> yeah, you were hooked from there. Was that, that was 2009, was that it? That was 2009. It, it must have taken me three days before I could climb up and down my stairs normally. <laughs> so you, hadn't, you didn't do any specific training for it no. really on? <laughs> no, not much specific training. I remember doing some long runs, but that was pretty much it. Um, that's a... Uh, so that was that was 2009 and in that time between because obviously from doing triathlons you did a couple of triathlons in the UK yeah. but when you were studying for your masters yeah. were you just like keeping fit and doing going, joining the running club but you hadn't really you weren't really doing too many sort of races as such in that time yeah no so I didn't do I didn't do that much I did maybe a few local races or, or small triathlons mm-hmm. like I remember doing the Bath Triathlon and uh, one in sort of Wade Bridge and Foy, but those are sort of little local towns, you know. Mm. And there's the Mevagizzi, um Festival Triathlon, which literally you finish in 13 minutes, <laughs> but it, it's painful. It's a painful 13 minutes. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you swim from one side of the harbor across to the other. You should run up the Mevagizzi hill and cycle back, or cycle up the hill and run back down. It it sounds to me like the Obviously, splitting up with your husband after being with him for ten years like that seems. I'm, I'm looking through your calendar of like your your career in in ultra running, and that seemed like a real like pivotal time in your life. Yeah. That like you talk. I, I've just we talked about books we read recently. I've just finished reading um, uh, the obstacle is the way, and it's around turning adversity into advantage, and it's really interesting like hearing stories about when you know people come up against tough times in their life and they're able to like channel that grief channel that heart into something positive and like yeah. pu- push that energy into something positive would, would you say that that was um, that happened for you or? yes so uh and i don't tell a lot of people this but i have no problem actually speaking about it um when i was between 2006 and 2009 i think i was quite severely depressed um, and that was one of the motivators for joining the, ru- the running club because I needed to get out of, you know, this black hole that I felt I was in. And it was a pretty severe depression, but the f- fact that I was really... I didn't want to take any drugs or see anyone, you know. It just felt like it wasn't going to work for me. And so I had to figure out how to make it work, make myself better. And running was the first step for me to try and pull myself out of it. Um, it may or may not have been the right decision, but I think it was for me. I mean, the, the regularity, the, the support from the, no one knew that I was depressed. They just knew that, you know, I needed to run for whatever reason. And we all have reasons to run, yeah. right? Um, and so that really helped, especially coming back to Singapore when I had to start from literally ground zero again. Um, it was very hard, but I had then support from my family and friends and this depression started to go away and the more I ran, the less depressed I felt. You know? And um, I thought, that was that's great, so I'm just going to run more. <laughs> uh, and I think it... It gave me a lot of impetus 
to get out and do stuff that I felt would challenge me personally. And that's a lot of the... So I do a lot of things without thinking it through properly first. <laughs> um, like I remember... So I came back in 2009, uh, 2010 and I did my first ultra in 2009. And my second ultra was 100 kilometers. Um, and my third ultra was 100 miles. <laughs> and they're both in the same year within you know it, sort of two it kind of, of reminds me other. of like speaking to Andre like and his was around the same yeah, sort of yes, time Andre Bloomberg yes. and then he just went from like not running at all to like doing the five north face yeah. uh, 100ks in like one season it's like how'd you go but from nothing to that that's where I met Andre so it was okay yeah that um my first 100k was in Singapore uh, the north face 100 and I met Andre at that race. And that, that was his race. first yep, as well. Exactly. Oh, that's so we crazy. Both did the same race. And it was funny because I was doing it. I had no idea of how to pace myself. Absolutely clueless. So I had this massive pack of food and everything I thought I needed. Uh, my bag must have weighed, I don't know, six kilos or something for a, you know, a two-loop 100K in Singapore. And... Andre and paper, so paper was taking pictures, you know, and Andre was running. And Andre was behind me the whole time up until maybe 14Ks to the finish. And he passed me, you know, looking strong. And I was just wiped out by then because I'd run the first 50K with some the Chinese in, um, international runner. And she'd, she'd been invited because she'd won North Face Beijing. And she'd come and she was like, come on, we'll run together. I'm like, okay. I think we did the first loop in, uh, so the first 50Ks in under five hours. And then my next 50K, I was like, you, you go ahead because <laughs> That is like the worst it. thing you can do. Absolutely. It's like, I'm just going to follow the fastest <laughs> runner. That's a great idea yeah. for my first 100K. Yeah. No, we had have, we have fun though. It was like we were chatting the whole way and she, she thought that she was out of the top three because there weren't any male-female podiums then. It was just literally overall podium. Yeah. So she thought she was out of the top three. So she said, well, you know, I'm not in the top three now. And I think they're too far to catch. Those guys went pretty fast. So why don't we just run together? And I was like, sure. And it was, I felt fine running with her for the first 50K. It's only in the second 50K that I thought, oh, I'm not going to be able to keep this up for the same distance. And so Andre pipped me at the end and came in third, I believe. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. He podiumed on yeah, his first. Andrew, absolutely. But, um, where did you finish on that one? Fourth, just behind Andre. (laughs) Brilliant. Yeah, no, it was good fun. Oh, loop races are horrible. I hate, like, that. the second loop's all because you just know what's coming the whole way. I didn't even know that there was a a halfway point where we could pick up food and drink and everything. I think I ran right past it. You didn't even look at the course map before. No, no. No, I'm terrible with stuff like that. Absolutely horrific. Um, But... It's because of that first ultra, and I think I had three UTMB points from that first ultra that I didn't know what UTMB was. And some and the guys, just like Ironman Kona, right? Ironman Hawaii is like the race that you need to aim for. So the guys are all talking about UTMB, and I'm like, okay, so I've got three points. I'm, I should try and get to this UTMB. And at the time, you only needed seven points, I think, and so I had to find a race that had another four points um, that would get me in or that would allow me to, to register. And so I found this 100 miler in Australia, the Great North Walks. And so I just 
dived right in. <laughs> and that was another massive lesson. Absolutely hilarious, but such good fun. And I, I really, really enjoyed it. Whereabouts in Australia is that one? That's in Sydney. Um, okay. So the uh, it's... Um, along North Shore, is it? Uh, yes. So the, the Great North Walk is actually a long trail from, I believe, Brisbane uh, to Sydney. Okay. And so they take a section of that. So you we start a little coast, further though, out. So so uh, on the along the coast-ish, okay. yeah. So we we started kind of halfway up and then made our way back down to Sydney. Yeah. Is it still a race now? Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah, yeah. GNW 100. So they have the 100K and the 100 miler. So that, that's their um, fun run and the real race. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was good fun. I was in so much pain in some point, at some points of that one. It was hilarious. And did that give you enough points for UTMB then? That was a four-point race, so I, I got enough points. Um, that was also my first encounter with chafing, <laughs> strangely enough. <laughs> I remember going past 100 k's and thinking, this is further than I've ever been before, and then thinking, I'm not sure if I can carry on because I'm so chafed from my shorts. Um, the liner of my shorts, I don't know what was going on because they were fine in the 100K. Uh, but, you know, it's different conditions and yeah. all sorts. And I was just, I was chafed so badly. I had to borrow a scissors, cut the liner out of my shorts before I could carry oh, on. Oh, really? Yeah. You didn't have gurney goo back then? No, no, <laughs> we didn't. Exactly. I didn't know anything like that. I, remember, I think in the first 10Ks, I fell into a river as well, like off a small cliff into a river. You fell over, Jerry. No <laughs> chance. I can't believe yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know, no. It's just good, it's good fun. No scars, no proof, right? <laughs> I should learn to look where I'm going a bit more. Um, so you did you did UTMB the following year? Yes. Did... So I qual- um, qualified, got in, got the ballot. Um, I don't think there were many taking part in those days. Yeah, once again, it's mental. Like the first year that you do... Like I mean, sometimes the, the life, your lifetime career as a triathlete of your, is to get to Kona, and you did that in your first year, and then yeah. you get to UTMB in your first year. That's um, that's pretty crazy. What do you, like, do you think? It, what made you want? Is it as soon as you heard that there was like the pinnacle? I need to get there, or what was it that? Yeah, no, you know, I don't recall being super excited about UTMB in the way people are now, and I I didn't know hardly anything about it. I just knew that it was it in relation to say Ironman Kona, um, that's what you would look to do in the ultra running world. And all the guys were talking about it and they would said, you know, you've got points, so you shouldn't let it go to waste and so this is how I do stuff. I don't really know what I'm letting myself in for. I just literally sign up and hope for the best. Which it was good. It was a good experience again. It was crazy. There's all sorts of crazy stories all the time, but you know, that's half the fun, right? Yeah, yeah. And and you've like got a ridiculous... From there, you've just, you know, knocked off some of the toughest racing around the world from Tour de Jean to Four Trails to... Um, I mean, yeah. What would you say was actually your, um, in your trail running career, your proudest achievement? My last race, I think. Th- to be honest, 
the Malay? Not, no, yeah, no, I'm not so... Coast to Cozzy, or...? <laughs> yeah, that was, was that Coast your to Cozzy. No, that wasn't. Um, I, I don't feel, like, super proud as such, but I feel like um, with the bigger races, especially like Tour de Géant, um, the Gobi 400, uh, Coast to Coast in Malaysia, and even ones that I haven't finished, like the Anzac Ultra, I didn't, I DNF that one. Um, it's not so much pride in what I've done, but I just think I really enjoyed the challenge and the experience that I take away from it. It's just, I want more. And so it's always the last race that you do. It doesn't matter, or that I do, it doesn't matter quite so much if it's the longest race or it's, it's a short one that, you know, you just go and try and do a fast 50k or something. Um... I just really, really enjoy racing. Don't enjoy the training so much, but racing is yeah. good. Yeah. And what, is it like the dopamine effect of actually that sense of like achievement of, or yeah, or is it the like just the buzz, the um, adrenaline you get from w- when you're doing the race? Or I think I think you know what. So I I don't come across as such, but I am an introvert. <laughs> I'd uh, rather yeah. yeah, I'd rather spend time by myself, you know, quietly than being out there and talking all the time and, and you know, have being life of the party. Um, but on the trails it's slightly different. I like feeling strong on the trail um, when I'm racing and being able to encourage other people, getting encouragement from other people. Um, and I think the main thing that spurs me on is it's a lot simpler than you know feeling pride in your achievements or anything like that it just i like being out there for long enough so that it strips everything back to just the pure simple aspects of just being out there and pushing yourself you know it because that's all it is you just think there will be a point where it's so raw it's just you just keep moving forward you know, one step at a time, you know that it's a finite like length of suffering or pleasure or whatever it is you're feeling at the time. But I like it because everything else falls away. All the, you know, it, little details that you worry about. It gives real perspective. Yeah. On everything. I think, I mean, you talked about, about mental illness and I think that running, a lot of people find solace in running because it really does put things into perspective yep. and make some of the biggest challenges you're facing gives them complete insignificance yep. and actually puts them in it makes you realize how unimportant they are and yeah i think the the, the, the proudest achievement thing is like a, it's a difficult question i think you know, i think when people become like if they're doing it for ego or pride then sometimes it can i always say that like pride comes before a fall and if you're like <laughs> and I've, I've done it myself I've been in a race and I've been like uh, like near near the front of a race and thinking actually yeah I'm probably going to do really well and then I'll take a wrong turn and yep. go wrong, go 5k yep. in the wrong direction I'm like so yeah like holding that back but at the same time I think there is you know you need you've been so successful that you there must be things you look back on and go yeah um that one was pretty good um yeah well if if I if I had to pick, um, I think probably Tour de Jean, um, my first, you know, long, long ultra, race. Ultra, yeah. yeah, so that was 
200 miles, a little over 200 miles. 330, is it? 330. And that was such an incredible experience. I actually don't know. I think I got around by the literally the hair of my teeth. Um, I had so many points in that race where... Is that the race where someone... You saw someone fall off the side yes. of a cliff. Yes. I, I remembered like hearing the, you say this story on um, on a previous podcast, but I yeah. don't know if you want to share again. And I was just like, Yeah. What <laughs> the fuck? Well, well. So okay, this is this was my first ever super long race, and it actually came about because a friend of mine, he's Italian, lives actually lives in Comaya. You know, grew up there. He's a ski instructor, and. It was his Italian way of saying things, I think, that kind of spurred it because he said, UTMB, you did this? And then he said, Torrejean, this one, you cannot. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, what do you mean I cannot? (laughs) I love it. In fact, actually, I remember you, sorry to go on a side point, but I remember you said to me when I was thinking of doing the Everest thing and I I wanted to get the the record on it and you're like, I don't think you'll be able to do it. I was speaking to my, uh, and I'm like, right, Jerry says I can't do it. I'm going to prove it wrong. Yeah, no. Yeah, no so absolutely. someone telling you you can't do something is just like fuel to the fire, isn't yeah. it? Um, but when I first looked at the details, I was just like, oh, no, he's right. <laughs> I'm not doing that. And it, it was, I think, one day I was just looking at the website again. And I thought, we'll just put our names in or my name in and uh, we'll see how it goes. And when I got in, I was just like, well, here goes nothing. Um, but getting there and doing that first hike, you know, the day before I did a pre like recce hike and I just thought, oh, <laughs> I'm in so much trouble here. This is, is it not the good. Whereabouts is it? Uh, it's, um, so you start in Komaya and you go around and you actually you're in the foothills of the four big mountains. So it's Monte Bianco, which is Mont Blanc, yep. um, Grand Paradiso, Monte Rosa and the Matterhorn. And you and can see those? In the yeah, you can see them from behind. So yeah, like, obviously, if the weather's yeah. okay and it's not a yes. night. But. but it was absolutely incredible. But that first day, so we start off at maybe 8 in the morning. And by 8 at night, um, the weather's changed. There's sleet and there's horrible rain and wind. And we're climbing up this thing called um, Col du Crozati. It's horrible. It just looks like one of those... Um, sets from a horror movie like Dracula or something it's just really um, slaty sort of uh, almost like av- like a, uh, yeah, an avalanche yeah, of rocks it's like squee fields yeah. and it's just it's that horrible slick rock like very jagged stuff and people are really you know it's dark you see kind of headlamps and people are just going head down and I was just thinking I just need to get over the top of this thing, right? And we should have an aid station at the top. And if not aid station, but like a checkpoint at the top, dying for a hot drink because it's freezing and then bomb down to the aid station on the other side. And I get to the top and I'm like, yes, there's nobody at the top. So I think, okay, no hot tea, just keep moving. And so I start running and this is, this is, you know, 12 hours into 12, 13 hours into the event already. So you still kind of have some energy. And because we're running down, we're going downhill, this one's reasonably runnable. There's a very distinct trail. So I start running downhill and 
um, I catch up to this chap who's running. Uh, he's actually moving quite slowly in front of me, and I and I'm thinking, yes, going to catch someone, you know. And he's about six feet in front of me. Before he suddenly takes a left, a step to the left, like literally turns to the left, takes a step and falls off the cliff. And I'm just, I'm screaming my head off. I go to the edge and it's, so it's this very slippery grass slope for maybe a hundred meters and then, or maybe less than that. And then it's just scree field down there. So I see his hat and his poles just on the edge of the grass and he's gone all the way down there. So he's maybe fallen. You could see him still. Yeah, I could see him, but it was quite far away. So he'd fallen, uh, I reckon, 150 to 200 meters what down. What time of day was it? Was this it? is about 9 p.m. Okay, so it's dark. It's dark, yeah. And so I, so there's so many things going through my head and I'm not really like, what do I do now? Um, so for some reason, I thought it was really important that I try and get his hat and, and poles. Um, couldn't quite reach the hat because that was quite far away and I was like I'm not risking that so I grabbed the poles because I thought if he's broken something you know the poles will really help right and he's gone down at an angle to like perpendicular to the trail but in order to get down to where he is I've got to run down the trail round and so that's like an extra tangent that you've got to go and while I'm running down, I catch up to this group and they're all, they've got their hands on each other's shoulders because it's that kind of weather. And they've got their head down and they're all literally like plowing through like a train on the trail, like walking fast. Yeah. And so I try and grab someone from that group and I manage to grab the two guys off the end of that group who are, one is a Chinese guy and one is an Italian guy. And for some reason, the rest of the group doesn't come with us. But those two come with me. And we find the chap who's fallen down. And it was horrible. He was, he was lying like face up in a pool of blood. He's conscious, but he's hit his head and God knows what else. Um, we're trying to call emergency services and... Mine's the only phone that works because I'm on roaming. Yeah. So I can call using different networks and none of them c can because they've not got any signal. So lucky the Italian guy's there and... Talks Italian. Yeah, he spoke services. Italian. Because Torrejan is not something where English is so yeah. prevalent. Um, and so we're there with him, you know, wrapping emergency blankets around him, trying not to move him, making sure that he's at least conscious... Um, and trying to get emergency services to come and get him. With the weather, no helicopter. So the medics and the doctors have got to hike up the mountain to find us. And so this is, this is something that, you know, I, I had no idea. I was just like, what on earth is going on now? The two guys who came with me, they had to leave because they were freezing and I could see that. I, it, for me, it was probably adrenaline and I was wearing everything. Like I probably had six layers on being Singaporean. Um, so I stayed with the guy while they went off and tried to get some help. Um, and it was, it was pretty bleak, to be honest. I know. Oh, Gary, 
I remember like yeah hearing you uh, hearing you tell yeah. the story before and how long did you have to wait um, how long did you wait with him I for? think in total it must have been I was with him for over two hours yeah. um, it took so every half an hour or so I'd be like blowing my whistle and you know waving my flashlight light. and everything and halfway through there were two guys who came so um, another Italian guy and one other and the Italian guy Andrea stayed with me the second half um, so I, I was alone with him in total maybe uh, 45 minutes to an hour and then I had some company after and we just yeah. tried keeping him was he conscious. able to speak at that point or he was it was really hard to understand what he was saying mm. but then he was speaking in Mandarin yeah um, okay. his face was completely swollen yeah. so you could hardly tell like what he looked like even um, but we you know in the end I worked out that he was Chinese um, so I could speak to him in Mandarin um, and we just tried to talk to him and comfort him because I remember him saying you know it, it really hurts it really hurts did you have any painkillers or anything? You could no, but I don't think we Not could have given him yeah. anything really yeah, uh, because we needed to keep him alive and yeah. like awake. That's yeah. that's the only thought in my head. I mean, he wasn't, he was breathing. Yeah. He was still speaking um, and he could say who he was and, and what he was doing like just about. So we were just thinking emergency services, hurry up, the paramedics. And the, the first guys who came, they had a, they had a tent but they couldn't put it down where we were because it was, yeah. Yeah, so we had to actually pick him up and move him into the tent, which was, I don't know, 20 meters away. Mm. But that was a long 20 meters when you're, you know, tired and carrying somebody and it's slippery rock. Uh, But when when we picked him up, he actually moved his head on his own because I thought he'd broken his back. And I was really, really worried that, you know, paralyzed for life or something. And we just wrapped him up in emergency blankets and just tried to keep him warm. So when they put him in there, in that tent, they said to us, okay, you can go now. And it's suddenly like, shit, what do we do now? (laughs) You know, what happens next? So Andrea and I ran down towards the checkpoint and we met another couple of doctors and paramedics hiking up so then we understood like they you know they had no choice they had to just hike up the mountain that's why it took them so long and uh we got down to the checkpoint and we just like like we'd seen a ghost just in shock absolutely yeah i had no idea what to do next at that point of time i just Uh, i just needed a hot drink yeah (laughs) how long did it make you how long did it take you to make the decision to carry on um, not that long, actually. So I was very lucky. I had a friend who had had just done the TDS in uh, Mont Blanc and said, um, I'm going to come and watch the start of the race. And so he did. And then he decided that he was going to support me. But he didn't actually say he was going to support me. So he turned up at that first checkpoint. Oh. And that was the f- literally the first checkpoint. Yeah. And I was like, what are you doing here? And he was like, well, I thought, come, you know, see, I might follow you around for a few more checkpoints. And I was just like, no, (laughs) the whole story of like crying and everything. And he was like, right, okay, so why don't you just get out there and carry on, okay, and get to the next checkpoint and we'll see what, we'll see what happens, okay. Wow. Ah, yeah, I know. It's a crazy story. Um, And yeah, you obviously, you wouldn't. Uh, that didn't affect any of the cutoffs and everything. You were okay making the rest of the cutoffs yeah, of the race. Yeah, but r- 
cutoffs were fine. It was more um, the next day when I saw some of the other runners and because the Chinese runners knew what had happened by then. And one of them told me that he'd passed away. And that was another, like, in the middle of the mountain, Mm. I literally just sat down and went, shit, what do I do now? Do Do I carry on? Do I stop out of respect? Do I what? And I just thought, well... This is something that could happen to any of us, right? Yeah. You you sign your, you sign on the Dosset line saying you're not you know the race is not responsible for anything, and you think if it happened to me, I'd want people to carry on because yeah. it it shouldn't stop you. Yeah. Oh, we could go down a whole like morbid no, route around this because actually I've had a couple of instances uh, where you know I've been in the middle of a race and I've heard of some um, and. Yeah, and, and sort of and carried on. But then also, I remember, this is quite a random one, but we were, we were training for the um, um, for Oxford Trail yeah. Walker a few years back and coming through, um, actually we weren't training on the route, but we were coming on to, you know where the noodle shop is, we're yes. actually coming backwards on the map. And, yeah. and coming just where you get onto the road bit, like, um, uh, so it would have been section six or so. Or six, um, and... Uh, we bumped into a guy hanging from here. <gasps> yeah, like it was I just over, I was just after Halloween. Oh, no. We were running down, and like I was like, what? And I was running the front of the four of us, and just, uh, and, just and I thought it was just like it was Halloween, and some dummy hanging down. And we yeah, we ran into like a, I got hung, in, and like I just freaked out, like to the point that I couldn't run past that point for quite a while. Oh no! Um, but uh, but yeah, that was uh, that was quite. But in classic English style, like the way we sort of dealt with it is just like we bantered over WhatsApp and just tried to make light of the situation unfortunately it was a really sad story about a guy that um yeah it was a young guy who had sort of uh, from china who'd gone up there but uh, but yeah that was um yeah f- freaky and um, freaky stories um while, while, while being out on the yeah. trails but but for you to like carry on in that situation was just uh it must have taken a lot of mental toughness to just to just pick up pick yourself up and carry on yeah. um so i can understand why that would be to actually get to the end of that would be one of your um one of your proudest uh yeah proudest that was moments. definitely one of the more memorable ones yeah i've heard so much about tour de jeans that i'm like i remember actually i came in came in your shop recently and you were like following the your dot watching yes. people and there was yes. quite a few people from singapore that finished yes. the last yes. one right yes we had three from singapore who finished the last one and uh, one who didn't quite make it all the way around but i think he's going back again this year yeah, it's <laughs> it's gonna find it's it's fun, found its way onto my bucket list now. There Thanks for that, Jerry. Yeah. Uh, one of my bucket on my bucket list as well still is the Hong Kong Four Trails, and um, <laughs> and is it yes. still on yours? Yes, it is because um, even though I was the first female survivor, um, Andre changed the rules promptly the next year, so I finished in something terrible, like seventy-seven hours. Um, and so now you've only That's got not <laughs> terrible. Like you <laughs> finished it. Yeah, which is the Yeah, but you've got so now you've got seventy five I think he's lowering that again. I think he's made it seventy two. Has he? Okay, yeah. so seventy two now. I'd like to have a good crack at doing it in under sixty. I mean, Nikki this year was just incredibly <sighs> inspiring. And she just looked made it look so easy. Like she was re- smiling the whole way, enjoying it. Yeah, definitely going back for another crack. 
She, and, and actually, just talking about because there's been a real emergence of um, phenomenal female in, um, ultra runners, endurance runners, yeah. of which I mean, you've obviously been on the scene for quite a while and one of the best in Asia. But I ran with Nikki for a bit on the four trials, and she was just so strong, yeah, so unbelievably strong, and um, but consistently strong yeah you know it wasn't we we actually the the two we were with uh, this other american dude as well called ian seabury and we um we were just chatting away and we made a wrong turning like 12k in and we went like 2k in the wrong direction and uh and we then when we realized she was like and she just bombed it back <laughs> to get on track and i was like well but um but then when she was back on track and then was just solid again and just head down and um and going strong but um yeah, I, I I saw her get to the finish line. I think I was like uh, I was yes, recording were, it yeah. live, and you're like, oh. But she um, she is an an amazing, amazing athlete. Yeah. So humble as well yeah. with it. Um, super inspired. Yeah. Who else is there? I mean, obviously you've got Courtney DeWater, who's just a superhuman. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. She. Um, you've got Camille Heron. You know, she's super quick. The twenty-four hour record as well. Yeah. She just ran a hundred and seventy-four miles, seventy-four point nine eight or something like that, miles in twenty-four hours. Wow. Yeah. Who? What's the name of the lady? I oh, escapes me for a second. The um, that she did the um, one of the big races in the UK, and she. I'm terrible with names, but she. Jasmine. Um, Jasmine. Yeah. What's her surname? Yeah. <laughs> Just escaped no, me for I'm a second, so but but and she like did that. it whilst uh, while she was like breastfeeding as well. Uh, she was expressing milk, expressing yeah. pumping, dumping. Yes. But um, but yes. yeah, it was um, yeah. But she was incredible. So I listened to a podcast. If you there's a, did you did you hear it? The Talk Ultra with Ian Corliss. So Ian Corliss no. had her on, um, okay. a podcast, and she was talking about it. Um, and so she's like, you know, super super humble. Um, talking about how she's, you know, dealing with the fame of it all. Like, I can't yeah. wait till, you know, somebody else comes on the scene and just takes this limelight away from me. But it's because she's touched beyond the ultra community. It's like the, you know, the, the rest of the world suddenly stood up and went, hey, what's going on there? And that's super inspiring. Um, yeah. So she's had a lot of media attention and she's, <laughs> she's not used to it. But super humble again, and um, she's not. So she's. It wasn't a one-hit wonder, you know. She's been doing a lot of consistently good races, and she. I think she had a record for the Bob Graham round. Did she really? I yes, didn't know that. I thought I. I'm pretty sure that was her as well. So, or she gave it a really good go anyway. Um, Jasmine Paris. That's yes, right. That's yeah, that's it. Yeah. And yeah, so you know, not surprised. But incredible. 15-24 Bob Graham round. Wow, that's ridiculous. Okay, so it wasn't a one-hit wonder. Yeah, yeah. No, she's really good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And good on that sort of terrain as well. So, you know, the spine is just... It's literally suck it up and stiff up her lip. Yeah. Get going. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And actually, it was really interesting this year, Andre um, changing... Well, trying to bring in... I don't believe in sort of quotas as such but just inspiring people to get involved and women to get more involved yeah. and and whilst it's difficult to like I think same in business if you as soon as you like put strict quotas then it it sort of changes the dynamic but um and, and just for the wrong reasons I think there yeah. still needs to be a certain meritocracy in this world or right but 
what was very interesting is that the the number of women that actually got to finish is it's yeah. like same like even same or even higher percentage yeah. for the four trails and hearing him talk about it is like what you'll find is that when women commit to it yeah. they'll do it whereas blokes will go yeah I'll do it and then actually yeah. might drop out at some point but it's yeah. like they've committed to it they will see it through so they're less they're less quick to actually put their application in but once they've done yeah yeah, um, I think also it's just time commitment and for women there's a lot I, I say this but there's so much else going on um, I I mean I don't have kids you know I have but I have my own business and I think about women with families and children and husbands to deal with and work life also there's a lot to deal with without thinking I'm going to commit to an event that is going to take up a massive amount of my time and concentration so yeah. it's it's a choice i think that we don't take lightly yeah. um but then again if you've been invited to do the hong kong four trails you don't take that lightly <laughs> yeah yeah and, and talking about committing to events so uh what's in store for you jerry chua what have you yeah. committed to what have you signed your life away for Right, so in my usual fashion, <laughs> signing up, yeah. sign up, like, uh, sign up first, think sign later. Sign up first, think later. Absolutely. So this um, challenge called the Triple Crown of Two Hundreds kind of perked, um, perked me, piqued my interest. I mean, uh, and it's in the U.S. So the other motivating factor is that my sister lives in San Francisco. One of my sisters lives in San Francisco. Oh, cool. It's just had a little baby, and uh, so it's you know something where I can combine the two and go visit them because I, I haven't apart from Ironman Hawaii I haven't raced in the US before got you so you haven't done any of the Grand no. Slams or anything <laughs> no okay. nothing um, and I'm terrible with keeping the um, lottery my lottery qualifiers um, in so Western States and Hard Rock and all that so I just I haven't like tried to enter once I think and yeah. then not yeah um, but so the triple crown of 200s is um, three races, all done by the same race director, um, Candice Burt uh, from Destination Trail. And they are three 200 milers in the space of 10 weeks. And the first one is Bigfoot 200. The second one is Tahoe 200. And the third one is the Moab 240. <laughs> um, I... So this is how bad my geography is. I was just having a look to see, you know, you've got to think about flights and stuff Logistics. like that. Yeah, and so I thought Bigfoot 200 is in Washington State. So that, I thought it was Washington, not Washington State. <laughs> I thought it was D.C. <laughs> yep, absolutely. And I just it's thought... It's like the opposite I know. ends of... <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what I did cause, because um, Roberto's family lives in, in New York and I thought, you know, well this would be an opportunity maybe <laughs> come visit <laughs> and then before I, I thought okay before i say anything maybe i should just see how far it is from the race site itself <laughs> and then i looked at it and i was like that's really far actually let's not say anything <laughs> i think it would be a bit easier if it's around dc it's a bit flat around there yeah. than it is in washington yeah. state oh that's how bad i am with geography it's just it's appalling <laughs> absolutely but i'm super excited so it's when are they like so we're the yeah, we're in sort of like end march, of march april now, now. Yeah. yeah so it's um the first week of actually first second week of august then the middle of october uh middle of september and the middle of october okay yeah 
Actually, it's quite good that they're... And do a lot of people do it as like a... Uh, do all three? Do the triple um, crown? Do the trifecta? I don't, I don't know, actually. Because, you know, if you think about doing a 200 miler, for a lot of people, that's like the pinnacle of uh, endurance. They, they, they just do the one 200 miler and build up to it, like, like you would say. But there's some of us, other people, who think, okay, you know, here's the challenge, let's do it. And... And okay, I might not have trained as much as I could have in the last year or so just building the business. I've yeah. really been out of training and racing and I really miss it. Yeah. And so I thought, well, I mean, go big or go home. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go big and go home. Yeah, that's amazing. And how are you thinking about training? Because so you've obviously got a, you've got a coach. Yes, I've got Andy Dubois from Mile 27, and he's been my coach for a long, long time. Yeah. And he's trained people for some of these events also. So he, he's got some experience with them, with the courses. Yeah. Uh, and he knows me pretty well. So um, he knows when to kick me up the ass and when, you know, I don't need so much kicking. At the moment, I need quite a bit more kicking. <laughs> <laughs> because you've actually, I, I remember we was we were supposed to race together, which we're talking about like getting you into yes. like expedition adventure yes. races. The one thing missing from your endurance CV, Jerry, you've got to get involved. Um, yeah. Um, God Zone next year, twenty twenty. <laughs> I've, I've just saw the announcement. It's like okay. oh, November twenty twenty. Anyway, um, we were and you did the coast cozy, didn't you? Yeah. And got to the finish line, standing on the top. And fell off. <laughs> <laughs> In true Chua yes, style, let's absolutely. fall over and and yeah. you did. Was it your back? You did. Oh it, yeah. yeah, that was that was pretty bad actually. So that was I, a year ago almost, wasn't it? Just over. Yeah, yeah. so that was so Costa yeah. Cozzi, They've stopped doing it now. Um, they didn't. Yeah, didn't get. They didn't get yeah, a permit this year, did they? Yeah, because just road permits and all sorts of things. So I don't know if they'll do it again, which is really sad. It's an awesome race. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I got to the top highest point in australia so the the guys were like you're gonna be the tallest person in australia for a split second i'm like yay standing on top <laughs> the tallest there. and shortest at yes, the same time absolutely. <laughs> got completely disoriented and literally fell off like doing one of those faith falls going backwards and splat flat on my back and i was actually really really lucky in the, where i fell because that was the only flat spot everywhere and I was it was cold and I was wearing a pack and I had my headlamp on so I landed on the battery pack of my headlamp and my the flat of my back luckily um, but I, lucky I had some padding on with the with a puffer jacket and a few other layers uh, but literally two inches to the side of my spine there was just this two inch um, metal rod sticking out <laughs> I was just lying there and everybody's like don't speak. And I was like, can you move? Can you move? I'm like, wiggling my toes. I think everything is okay. I need some gummy bears. <laughs> I was just, I was in shock. I was just like And terrified. did the metal spike pierce your back? or no, like so you it just... didn't. I was just really, really lucky. I don't, otherwise, all around elsewhere, it's just very rocky also. Yeah. And um, we were like, so the, the medic's about a kilometer down the top of the summit. So as you come up, you pass the the medic Andy, and he's he's in charge of all the medical, um, but I don't know all the medical goings on. So he's he 
he'll be very strict. So it was all it's our pact to like let's not tell Andy about this. We're just gonna go down <laughs> slowly. So I still had eight Ks to go to the finish. Oh really? Yeah. So you go up to the top and then you run back down to the Charlotte car park. Charlotte okay. Pass car park. Yeah. And how much pain were you in that last eight K? I then? was in quite a lot of pain. Because you were out after that for a few a months. A long time. Yeah. I couldn't run across the road even. You know, it was just it was that bad. I couldn't run for a bus or anything. Any bouncing or impact i just my back was so sore i've completely forgotten about that now yeah <laughs> funny um yeah because because uh, obviously you were supposed to race with us we managed we had to find someone at the last yeah, minute so you so you that. you owe us in the expedition adventure race but so that's like a year so you were out for five or six months yeah, from that and obviously launching the business in that yep. time as well so yeah. you haven't really trained much for a year really have i haven't you? done hardly anything no yeah and so now <laughs> you've signed up for the three of the toughest races in the world back to back within yes. three months i mean the toughest is well, the three of the, the longest toughest. ultras they're in long, the world they're long ones yeah, yeah. And so, what's your training going to look like over the next few months? Um, you got five I'm months guessing, into the first one. Yeah, I think more like four actually. Okay. Um, so lots of back to backs. I think um, just time on my feet and more consistency, so that th- with these races, I reckon there's going to be quite a reasonable amount of hiking. And yeah. actually, I like the long ones because your speed's not quite so high up there. I mean, I'm not going for a podium or anything. Yeah. I'm going to finish, try and finish comfortably and strong. Not too far behind, ideally, and make sure I'm in good shape to, you know, carry on and do the other two in the in the series. And then the last one, Moab, you might give that a little nudge if you've got much left in the tank and go a bit faster, yeah. or you're well, just uh, we'll we'll see yeah. because um, in between, so Moab is actually a 240 miler. Yeah. You just throw in that extra little bit. Actually <laughs> called, it was called yeah. the Moab 200 yes, as well, exactly. isn't it? It's like, now it's changed but to you the just Moab get, 240. They've called it the... Th- yeah. Okay, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, so you've got a little bit more time to finish that. But I think in relation to, say, Tour de Géant or Transpyrenees, it's less mountainous, yeah. but um, there's altitude to deal with and, uh, and a few other things. So I will start maybe making some preparations and actually looking at the course... Um, details and maybe seeing if I can get some crew. Yeah, so actually, it's uh, training in Singapore. We struggle because we don't have the hills. Yeah. But if they're not, I mean, if the, the eleva oh the elevation in Taupo, well, you have got you're quite high up. Yeah. But the actual elevation of the course is elevation too, in Tahoe. You mean? I'm Tau, um, like Tahoe, Tahoe, yeah. Tahoe <laughs> not Taupo. But um, yeah, so um, the Tahoe race is it, it's literally around the lake, yes, isn't it? Yes. And I suppose it's got to be reasonably flat with that. I mean, no. Yeah, it's it's got reasonable amount of elevation, but not a, not a huge amount. Not like you would in Tadejan. It's not Tadejan, no, or, no. yeah. Or you but the it. the elevation will be a, an issue. Yeah. Um, but you know, elevations never really bothered me that much, and I do have an altitude tent if I want to use it. I oh could. really where. Yeah. Here in Singapore, but at your your house. Have you got like, how big is it? Can you like ride a bike inside it? Uh, No, so this, the the tent itself actually fits over the bed. Ah, Um, so you sleep as though you're in... You sleep in it. Um, But yes, I'll have to do some negotiation (laughs) with Roberto. (laughs) It's not very romantic, is it? (laughs) No, but then also it's like, you'd have to sleep in it for, I reckon, to get some good gains at least two to three months. Yeah. So, uh, but... The treadmill we have here is uh, goes up to a forty percent incline, okay. so that's good hiking training, 
and you can just keep you going and going work. and going. You can still Can you put your laptop yeah. on there? Maybe uh, not. not. But you quite, can still sell can, people yeah. shit while you're on it. You're oh, like, no, no, yeah, no. That's <laughs> good. Yeah, bye bye. <laughs> I would do that. Yeah, I'd do my secret training, I think. Not um, actually while the shop is open. And um, so training wise, you're just looking to ma- like mainly flat training, but long distance and, and just a lot of hiking, you think? for Yeah, I, I think flat is um, a bit of a misnomer because you, there's still elevation yeah. and you're still going to be hiking up stuff. I mean, they, they don't think that's so much there, but here we, we are flat. Yeah. So but you're not going to be flying up to Hong Kong every weekend to get no, your elevation no, no. or up to Malaysia no, to do I it. Do that. Just, I've got just this yeah too many other things going on as well so yeah, i don't think that's yeah. going to happen and um and from a nutrition perspective actually you were i've been having like a low carb high fat diet for pretty much two years now and yeah. i was planning to do it anyway and then you you were like oh i'm trying as well yeah. like you're one of the inspirations in doing it but yeah. what what do you how do you think about nutrition nowadays what are you um, um what are you doing and what are you thinking about <laughs> you come to the the trifecta or the triple crown, whatever it's called. Yeah, so I'm going to try and make things as easy as I can for myself. So, you know, eat what I can. So train myself to eat what I can that's going to be at the checkpoints also because it makes a big difference when you can come in and eat something and not worry too much about, you know, my stomach's going to go crazy. I can't have this, I can't have that, etc. So I still have to be careful. There are things that um, my body doesn't react well to. Uh, but I found so Tailwind is a sponsor, yay of the of the Triple Crown series. Oh, is it cool? Yeah. Um, but the other things, so like you know, peanut butter. So I we have yum butter, which I really like. I really like that. Yeah. The one I got. That's the almond. Yes. There's the almond yes. nut butter one. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. So I really like that stuff. Um, and just a little bit more real food. So the in I've actually made a. Um, a pledge almost not quite a pledge but i've said that i'm going to try and eat more green stuff because i don't, don't eat a lot of vegetables in general Do you know? no, okay. I don't. i'm just really bad I, I like meat a lot yeah um and so i don't think it's doing me any any detriment um, yeah. eating a lot of meat but um, do you take I, supplements Do you uh not a huge amount no i take um something called good green stuff yeah, the news is it news zest? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, I got I had a couple of trial ones. Yeah. I met the guy who runs it. Yeah, and I had a couple Scott, of trial ones. Yeah. It's pretty good. Yeah. yeah, I like the good green stuff because, like I say, I don't take a lot of vegetables or yeah. anything. And and sometimes for me, the time is too tight to you know make fresh food all the time. Yeah. And I get home and I'm just too tired and I'll just you know pick something from the hawker center. But the good green stuff, it's got. You know, your full serving of five a day in there. There's 75 different ingredients. And I just take one sachet a day and I feel quite virtuous with that. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, okay, anything else is, you know, um, a bonus. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, beetroot. So the, the I've been taking beetroot powder for years um, and I really like it. And I think it does have some benefits to endurance. And now we've got, you know, these new beetroot juice concentrates that really um make it a lot more efficient so yeah um just really stuff like that not a huge amount you know just making sure my recovery drink is spot on the tailwind rebuild is pretty good um and balanced diet if i can balance with in favor of bacon (laughs) (laughs) 
I, uh, I could eat bacon every single yeah, day. I pretty right. much do. <laughs> um, very cool, Jerry. So a few. Um, oh, actually, one thing I'm really keen to talk about is like on the professional side, like business side. Um, we got a few minutes, but just obviously we're sitting in your cool store here. But what what was your career before you studied um, um, physical education and? Yep. Um, and then, didn't you work in publishing? Didn't you work in like fashion? Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, um, started as a PE teacher. I did that for a year before I left to do my masters. And after I finished my masters, I worked in the UK for for some years um, when I was married. And that was uh, kind of not random, but it was more in the teaching field at first, uh, because that was what my qualifications were in. And then um, I did a few other things and, and kind of randomly got into fashion there, just high street fashion, um, managing a store. Uh, and then um, my sister was the one who properly got me into fashion after that. So she was working in Singapore and she said, I'm going to come to Milan and Paris. And because you're working in London yeah, or in the UK, uh, it's much cheaper to fly over from there than from Singapore. So I've, you know, got them to get let you come as my photographer. And I was like, yay! Except that I wasn't a photographer. <laughs> so, so it was a very, very steep learning curve with, you know, right from the beginning of London, Mil uh, Milan and Paris Fashion Week. And... Um, Oh, we had so much fun. It was hilarious. But some of the stories we could tell, just like, you can't imagine I'm shooting away and I've forgotten to take the lens cap off or you know, <laughs> all sorts. And she's like, okay, you've got three days to practice and our first shoot is, first proper shoot is with Sir Paul Smith. I'm <laughs> just like, what? <laughs> uh, it, was, it was so funny. So when I, when I moved back to Singapore, she introduced me to a few people. I started with um, some wardrobe styling, fashion styling for magazines uh, and some photography um, and then was offered a job in publishing as a, as a fashion editor, fa fashion director for um, one of the magazines. And so that was how, you know, I kind of got into it and it was fun for a bit because it was very different to what I've what I expected I was going to do. I think it's hilarious that you worked in fashion. Now you just see in singlets <laughs> and trail runners know, or I that Ofe's yeah. all the time. That was super good fun. So I, I really enjoyed it for a while. I think I was doing it for um, just under 10 years, 8 to 10 years, I think. Yeah. Um, but it was luxury men's fashion. Oh, okay. And so it was more interesting than women's fashion because women's fashion, to be honest, it's in the eye of the beholder. Yeah. You know, men's fashion has a kind of a kind of some boundaries unspoken boundaries where there's the cut of the suit you yeah. know and within the suit you can have a lot of creativity but it's still a suit yeah. whereas women can literally wear anything and that actually terrifies me yeah. I'm just like there's too much there I'm, I, I couldn't do that but, um, and so yeah. how did you go from obviously your passion was still running at the time like making making you know you talk about the Venn diagram of doing yeah. what you <laughs> yeah. love doing what you're um, what you're good at and doing what makes you money and like finding the the mi middle point and that how did yeah. you um I think it was in the last few years I because I had to travel so much and it was you know I'd been going to fashion weeks twice a year with my sister as her photographer 
and then graduating to me being one of the editors also going to fashion week it was and everything else to do with the job it was almost in direct contrast to what i wanted to do with sport so i'd be going you know waking up and running around the Champs-Élysées and and you know Eiffel Tower and and around there up and down the Seine in the morning and then heading out and seeing high fashion shows and then we be have to you know party all night because that's what the press has to do and then waking up the next day and going for a run before you start it all over again and it got to the point where there were I was had to miss some races because I was away for fashion shows or or press junkets or whatever it was and I just thought you know this is not what I want to do and I was getting a little bored with the fashion scene also and I thought I really want to do something that I enjoy again that gives me a challenge and why not sport because it's a it's a growing market here and I was having trouble getting stuff that I wanted for ultra running you know when it's a new sport and you can't find anything locally and that's kind of where it started so I just thought, see if I can get X and Y. And then with my contacts and people that I knew, it just kind of grew from there. And then you like started distributing a few products first yeah. and then... Yeah, so we started with Tailwind. Re- yeah. yeah. Yeah, but before I knew it, I mean, I had a store. I have a store and yeah. it was, yeah. I remember you talking because you obviously had the online store and you're like, yeah. oh, I don't know whether to get bricks and mortar and yeah. some hard work. But then it's just taken off massively, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I'm so, so fortunate. We've got the support of the running community here and more than the running community, we've got Spartan races, we've got triathletes and it's really uplifting to know. And one of the, my, my objectives for this store, for this company is to actually try and build the community and grow it. And interesting, because you said when you first got into triathlons and you said that it was the community side of it and triathlons is uh, it's kind of lost that a little bit yeah. it seems a bit impersonal like yeah. you turn up and there's like throws of a thousand bikes but the yeah. trail running community is still yes. I mean I was just out on I, like mountain biking around yesterday and saw a few people like hey yeah. you go. there's just a real community vibe and yep. everyone's just wanting to sort of yeah. help each other and be and uh, yeah it's nice to see that yeah. and 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 the good thing is I don't think trail running will lose that sense of community because of the very nature of what we do it's like you go out there and I said you know I I reckon a lot of ultra runners and trail runners in particular are introverts because you go out there and you could you know be out there by yourself for hours and hours and not see anyone we're pretty happy with that you know we're just very chill and the whole point of doing this is personal challenge you know you unless you know you're fast enough to gun for a podium or it's an accidental podium we're all just very chilled and we're quite happy to stop and chat and you know you know help people out along the way yeah it's such a cool community here in singapore really good people um i've got a few quick fire questions for you um what what makes you emotional um (laughs) horror movies they they terrify me. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, actually, any movie. So I get very, very into things, and I could watch a movie and be squeezing somebody's arm next to me, going, "No, don't." <laughs> and what, what's the horror movie that gets you most? Emotion? I don't know. I don't. So I don't watch horror movies anymore. Okay. No way. <laughs> I'll get nightmares. <laughs> okay. So, um. Uh, and what what movie makes you cry then? What's like a? Oh. What, what, I love like soppy movies. So what did I see last? Um, 
What was the one where the the guy's paralyzed from the neck down? I think, and it's is it me before you? I think me before you. Yeah. Okay, I haven't. I, and I, it was I was thinking of the Stephen Hawking one for no. a minute. There. <laughs> <laughs> really very no. emotional, but I it, mean, it was uh, with Amelia yeah. from Game of Thrones. You know the 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 blonde one. From yeah, Game yeah. Of Thrones, and she just she did a great job, and that made me cry. I was like, oh. Okay, me, me and you. Me like, before me you. Me before you. Okay. Um, uh, most inspirational book we also talked about uh, reading I before, and what you're reading at the moment. But currently, yeah. endurance. Endurance. But yes. what I suppose uh, to rephrase the question: What's been the most inspirational book for you? The look back that sort of changed the way you look at life, or look at um, sport, or either business or. Um, you know, the, there's been a few books uh, that I've read along the way, um, and one, you, you'll laugh, but one of them was Dave Scott's Triathlon Training Manual. Oh, really? And I, yeah, no, because when I was so young, when I was young, and it was it was a gift, and I thought, wow, this guy, he's like my, my you know, my idol. I really want to, you know, there's this famous um, Dave Scott, Mark Allen um, battle for Ironman Championship. Um, and he used to write on his pool boy, like, you know, get Mark Allen or like to inspire himself. And it kept me giggling. So I used to, um, in that same vein, I used to have bags of sugar and rice that I used to carry in my pack as weight training. And I named them. Not after my enemies, but like, you know, some hot movie stars. But <laughs> right, come on, Hugh, let's go. <laughs> so, yeah, and it, it, his methods of training, he just put in so much hard work that it was really, really inspiring. Ah, interesting. <laughs> I've written that down because um, You're doing check it an out. Ironman's <laughs> on my bucket list for future. There so, when I go. eventually get around it, not for a few years yet, but um, what um, is, what, name like one of, you, one of your favorite quotes? <laughs> favorite quotes pain is french bread pain is french bread see I always hear you say that and I don't get it whatsoever so you I don't, don't. I don't seriously it. no what is it have Please you explain. ever been into a bakery yeah. and seen a pan au chocolat yeah so pan in french means bread that's why there's a flying baguette pain right is there. french bread Oh God! I always see you say it. I'm like, okay, <laughs> makes sense now. I feel so stupid. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, any favourite podcasts that you listen to? Actually, recently, so I've gone through a, quite a few of them. I like currently Trail Runner Nation. Yes. And Mr. Brown's podcast. Mr. Brown's podcast. Yes. So Mr. Brown's not sport related at all. It's a local podcast. Yeah. And. In the every, As in Singaporean. Yeah. And every Tuesday, um, the, he does, Kim Huat reads the news. And it's hilarious. Cause, okay, so I don't, I I have to admit this, I don't read the news. I just rely on people to tell me if there's something terrible going on or something I should know. <laughs> and this is like my version of catching up with it's like a satirical news. version of the news it's great because he's singaporean and he does it in with a you know a lot of singlish and yeah. his personal opinions in there as well so i i do get to find out actual news and laugh at the same time it's only like 10 minutes long so look forward to that once a week mr brown's podcast <laughs> yeah. check it out uh so i normally ask people what is the best kit that they've 
kit or product or uh, that they've bought for under 100 bucks given that we're setting your store with just <laughs> loads of products everywhere yeah. actually i'm interested in what's your best selling product for under 100 bucks and then what's your favorite product yeah. for under 100 bucks so the the best seller under a hundred dollars. We've got two best sellers. One is Tailwind Nutrition, but that's it's a product, yes. But you know, you just keep buying that. And the yeah. actual product product would be the Naked Band. Yeah. So you've got a Naked I've Band, got two. right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So exactly. The yeah. Naked Band has been since so eighty five dollars, which is maybe a bit pricey for a waistband for yeah. sure. But I've had so much fun with it, honestly. I've done 50k trail races and not had to carry my pack because I can stuff everything into... I, I might look like a dodgem, but, <laughs> <laughs> but you can put everything. I've had three soft flasks, my poles, my headlamp, my sunglasses, phone, all sorts in there. And yeah. if you if you look at John Ellis, he runs with a, with a naked band. And I remember him running with a naked band. And one very cold year at Hong Kong 100. And we were just he had gloves on, didn't he? <laughs> he, had, we said, he came into the halfway point and checkpoint five, I think. And we were like, John, you might need to put some clothes on. It's getting very cold now. He was like, yeah, you're right. Put some gloves on. Run soft. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was topless, of course. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I vouch for that as well. It's actually one of my favourite bit, yeah. bits of kit, and uh, it you can basically just have a, such a light pack on your back, yeah. and then and it actually putting the weight around your waist is yeah. uh, works as well. Um, and the accessibility, I think, helps a lot. Yeah, and the newer versions are definitely they've like improved their technology yeah. as well, haven't they? Um, okay, actually, we like, talked about this earlier, like proudest moment, personal and professional, and like you sort of talked about. Like for your running career, Tour de Jean, you've got many to speak of. But professionally, like what's been your proudest moment? Uh, you know, it's, it's funny. I was thinking about that. And I don't really feel that I've done anything to be that proud of professionally, honestly, in, in all the years I've been doing stuff. Because I haven't really had like a long career. Like some people would come out of school enter the teaching profession or you know go into banking or or be a lawyer or something and they'd have a good couple of decades at least or three decades of of work in that field um and be able to say yep that was my proudest moment you know when i um achieved whatever and for me because i've done so much Change career a yeah. few times <laughs> yeah i don't regret it but um at the same time i think now um, finding ha, using all those experiences to find what it is I want to do now and with this store I think I'm pretty close to that uh, being able to say yes we are breaking even and um, I think we're contributing to the community as well that's probably my proudest moment yeah that's i I felt like I could have answered that for you because I remember speaking to you saying, oh, you know, it's a big investment to like open up the store and I've, yeah. and I've like got to, you know, man the store and I have to hire a load of people. Yeah, and, and, it's terrifying. <laughs> but yeah, in true Jerry Chua style, you like just, just signed it. up for it and <laughs> then just like work it out after and it's cool and it's become like a real big part of the community. So yeah, thank you for from the community for for like having this, this spot and um and yeah, thank you for uh, for joining the podcast. It's uh, it's been a pleasure. No worries. Really Delighted. appreciate it, Jerry. And I I um I wish you all the luck for the uh, for the triple crown. I'm sure <laughs> you'll smash it. Thank but uh, yeah, there's a bit of training to do in the meantime. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> cool. Thanks so much, Jerry.
Right on. Thanks, Scott. Cheers, my dear. The Endurance Asia podcast. I know we tell the truthful story if they ever ask. Stop the complaining because things ain't that bad. Hello, Rick Stockfish. How's it going? Good, Scott. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very well. Just got back for a nice little jog around Singapore and Fort Canning. And um, yeah, um, how did you, uh, what did you think of the Jerry Chur interview there? Well, it's interesting, wasn't it? We were just talking about that on the run and um, how uh, over the last few years in Singapore, um, it does really feel like the trail running community, the running community in general has really come on and it's rare now that you go out for a run and don't, um, don't see one or two people you might know. Um, and I think Jerry has, should take a lot of the credit for that. I think, um, especially with Red Dot over the last year or two, it's really started to feel like a, a scene and that's really great to see. Yeah, I, I think when she was saying about her, her vision, her mission for Red Dot Running is about, is about building community. I think that she's, uh, she's going a long way to do that. And just around... Yeah, she has movie nights in the in the store. She has when she's um, has you know famous runners come through. She's got like a wall of people with uh, um, yeah little Polaroid uh, photos on there. Um, I actually made it on there. I don't know how. Oh, because I was uh, yeah because I was uh, doing the four trails. I don't. I just take it down until I can until I eventually complete it. But uh, but yeah, she hasn't invited you in for. Give a presentation. Yet. No, no. In fact, actually, but then when Abby came back from uh, from finishing or from uh, surviving the four trails, he did a talk to everyone, which is really good. And yeah, she's bringing people in. She's, I mean, when Jim Wolvesley came through town, she organised a, a run around um, at Ritchie. You went along and joined that, didn't you? Yeah, it was great. And uh, it's just you can just see there's a real there's a real spirit, community spirit around that. Um, and just just hearing, I mean, you know, as you said to, to Jerry in the interview, you know, Singapore's. You know, in many ways, one of the worst places to train for for ultra running because it's just there's just so little elevation. But that's in in a funny way, I think that's bonded people together. And you know, the number of people that were out um, running with Walmsley, who you know, Singaporeans who are you know multiple time UTMB finishers and have knocked off all the big races around Asia, um, and just putting in the hours at Bukatima going up and down that hill. Yeah. Um, that, it's just it's just a really uh, yeah really fun spirit and uh, uh, you know kind of cheer led by by Jerry. Yeah, no, I think that that's it because the trails are so limited. It does mean that they, it creates even more of an environment for community. Well, I, I saw the other day on uh, on Jerry Strava, she's uh, she's she's put up the f- fastest known time on Singapore's new coast to coast trail, which I think is <laughs> yeah. I don't know what it is thirty three thirty seven k. You know, knowing full well that it's going to get beaten, but it's just it's just that kind of thing. Yeah. It's just just finding an adventure out of our back door and um, and making something of it. It's great. Yeah, it's a bit unfortunate that it's all on uh, all on uh, yeah. asphalt and pavement. But um, but yeah, she's so she's so impressive. She's got this this obsessiveness, but then just this ah. Oh, uh, I I suppose that with the Tour de Jean story, just in, covers that uh, amazing to be able to see someone that fell off the side of a cliff and go and sit with him for two hours and wait for help and and to still continue and yeah. i suppose at that point she didn't know that that the guy had um had passed away but but even to continue under that kind of duress and uh is just uh is re- truly impressive isn't it yeah, it's really real mental strength um and we were just we were just talking about um about that kind of obsessive 
nature that allows you drives her drives her on and allows her to to, to push through and do some of these you know amazing uh, amazing distances yeah yeah i really like the way she was very open about talking of, about her challenges with mental illness and i think the more people talk about it the more other people that are suffering in silence feel that they can talk about it as well so it's um and and exercise being outdoors you know good diet good nutrition are all like key things to be able to help with them with mental well-being but you know channeling that because often people that suffer from mental illness will then have alcoholism or something Mm. else that will um that uh will be a side effect of it and actually if you're able to sort of channel channel that into uh into running it's just a great outlet and uh and yeah and, and she's obviously done that but then has built a built a life around it well and, and like we said like a community i mean she she admits she's she's quite introverted i think she says a lot of runners are she's very happy out on the trails by herself mm. for a very very long periods of time but to have a community around you nevertheless that's that's sort of motivated and driven by the same things and, and excited by the same types of activities is is uh, probably something that really kind of lifts you up and uh, helps you keep going in those times yeah that's interesting I was quite surprised that she considered herself an, an introvert but it kind of makes sense and she does say that she does pretty much all of her training solo which <clears throat> depending on what sort of training regime you are in I think is actually quite a good thing it's mm. good to do group runs but really uh, you should be training to a certain heart rate or a certain we've, we've dis- discussed about the sort of 80-20 rule of training which I suppose we'll get into later in other podcasts when we get coaches on um, but you shouldn't the challenge with running with groups is that you're forced to run at other people's paces and um, which isn't always uh, ideal for uh, it's it's okay but that, and that's why the kind of book a team of thing works because mm. people will just do um they'll be doing um circuits up and down book a team a hill and then they'll get to the bottom they'll chill out and have a drink with people and have a chat and it has that com- community environment yeah. there yeah well, and she says just trail running in general i mean her hope and her her, her belief is it, it it's never going to get over commercialized in the way that you know, perhaps Ironman and things like that have um, just by the nature of the sport. You know, you're, you know, even you know, you can tr- you can train with all the people you like, but it's still something you're going through yourself. Um, but just, you know, having people out there on the trails, you give them a thumbs up as you go past, and uh, yeah, I mean, that's the great thing about about trail running is the barrier to entry for people yeah. is is next to zero. Yeah. You know, just a pair of runners and a pair of shorts. And then you're you're done out there. If you wanna if you wanna get a Garmin watch or something, or like, but you well, and, use yeah, your and phone. then your naked belt and your tailwind, and yeah. you can you can get into it, but <laughs> you can. And, um, I think Jerry's relying on people getting into it a little yeah. bit more, but <laughs> yeah, she's built a business around it, yeah. But uh, but I mean, the, the point the point being that once you sort of start getting into Ironman, then all of a sudden the amount of kit yeah. that you've got to buy just goes through the roof, and then. Um, yeah, and, and the commercialism is interesting because I did the Spartan race uh, last weekend and uh, and we've got uh, Maggie coming on who's just a phenomenal athlete and so I'm looking forward to sharing her uh, her interview soon. But it was, there, there was a couple of thousand people there. Like, it's truly commercial. Right. It is purely commercial. And it's one of the reasons that I was previously pretty anti-OCR, but actually, uh, like obstacle course racing, actually... You saw people doing it, which wouldn't normally sign yeah. up for a race. Yeah. 
and the sense of achievement they're getting of actually finishing at the end, yeah. even though they you know take a good couple of hours to do it, it doesn't. Yeah. Um, and you know we kind of need that. Well, that it's also it's, you know it's it's, it. it's you know it's on in a park around the corner from your house. Basically, it's not you know not everyone's going to get on the plane and go and you know hike through the mountains and so for as we days. yeah you talk know, about a, the commercialism yeah, so it's, and you in that, that sense it's quite Iron accessible Man, you pay your and they've obviously acquired a couple of big in. ultra marathons yeah. in in australia so tarawera and uh, and ultra trail australia uta and there was a bit of a backlash from the ultra running communities like oh the, they've they've sold out uta but i mean my my feeling is that as you get the the sort of big power behind it, the real event management. There, I mean, although there were well-run events before, but they're just made, able to make them that much better run. But just also bring more people into yeah, it, it's more marketing, a, make more, it more accessible, more, more widely known. You can't argue with that. I don't think it's not. You know, you can't you can't keep this stuff to yourself. Um, and that in itself will then build up some of the more elite races, which will make it more of a, a professional sport, which yeah. means they'll be able to focus more on training, which will improve the overall quality of the sport. It's, it's got to be a good yeah. thing, really, yeah. isn't it? Um, but yeah, so um, so Jerry's got a pretty big plan for the rest of the year. Yeah, yeah I mean, talk about a comeback from injury. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I know that was a while ago. It was a year ago or so, but, you know, six months out. It was So it must have been around, because she, she did the Coast to Cozzy, I think it was around February... 2018 yeah, just that. before you guys were going to go to uh, Tasmania yeah before XBD so we were supposed to be racing together and then uh, yeah the, so I joke at the beginning of the podcast around um, she fell off her bike like Jerry's the clumsiest trail runner you'll ever meet she's if you see her knees they are just scarred up to buggery yeah. they're like uh, yeah she's uh, she's um, <laughs> she's not got a very good sense of balance but um, uh, so she got up to the top of uh, Mount Kosciuszko stood on the top and then uh, and then tumbled off the backside of it onto her backside and did her back in but yeah she was out for a while yeah yeah so to come back and uh, you know set yourself some big goals three was it three 200 mile races in the space of 10 weeks something like that yeah it's uh, it's a pretty uh Who's the, lady that, who's the race director of it as well? It's um, uh, I want to say it's a lady. Is the yeah, race she, director? She mentioned it in the podcast, didn't she? Yeah, um, but she she actually raced down a uh, a two hundred miler down in Australia recently, and I think podiumed um, the uh, um, yeah she, uh, Candice Burt, her name is yeah, and she um, I think she finished second or something. She's a uh, an amazing ultra in her own own right, but um. Yeah, those three races are crazy. Uh, three two hundred miles. I really want to do the Tahoe one round yeah. the ta- round Tahoe Lake. That's on my on my bucket list. Um, but to do all three, yeah. having not trained for a yeah. year. Yeah, Andy Deboy, her coach, he's got some work to do. Yeah, well, it's funny. I mean, funny we um, when uh, when Jim Wormsley was over and we went for that training run with with him and uh, and Jerry, and they were talking about goals and and his his plans. And I think one of his is to have a crack at the fastest known time around the Tahoe Trail, which I think is uh, it's, it's quite a long-standing Killian record um, from okay. years back. But I think, you know, no one's, no one's really tackled it in quite that way, and I think he fancies his chances. Because as you say, it's not, it's not the most amount of elevation. It's, it's a relatively runnable trail. Um, but yeah, that, uh, to do that and then two others like Jerry's planning is, uh, is nuts. 
Yeah, the, that Moab 240. Once again, it's reasonably flat um, relatively to, say, doing a 200, yeah. The, yeah, four trails or something like that. But it's uh, 240 miles. Yeah. It's just a long, long way. Yeah. yeah. Um, very good. So, yeah, what do we have in the race calendar last year? UTM, uh, UTMF, U, U, Ultra Trail Mount Fuji was uh, the yeah, weekend. Yeah, that's what we should, we should look at doing. But, yeah, that's, so that sounded like that was uh, kind of one for the ages with the weather. Um, some decent finishes and then the race got called off. Yeah, it um, started snowing, didn't it? And, and they've, they've changed that race so much over the years. They've tried doing it at different times of year. Um, they've, they've had different distances, which they no longer have. I think they only have the 100 mile now. Um, but yeah, they just seem to have gotten unlucky. Or lucky, I guess, if you want to be, if you want a reputation as a really tough race with the weather again. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, what's, uh, yeah, have we got much coming up in the, uh, in the calendar soon? So, um, yeah, we've obviously, um, after, uh, in the next couple of weeks, we've got, um, we've got Seb coming out. Um, and then, uh, and then soon after that, we've, uh, we've got, um, uh, Maggie, the, uh, Spartan athlete from, from Hong Kong. Um, and what's who- nice is we're now starting to get, um, get uh, recommendations from from listeners of the podcast and and other and and of course the people interviewing are recommending lots of people they know um their coaches their friends their, you know um their competitors um so it's it's starting to really pick up and there's 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 a lot of exciting content coming i think yeah 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 um yeah i'm i'm also i mean one of the things we set out to do at the beginning was to have a really diverse group of people join and and that's obviously male female but also diversity in the different um different sports and uh and, and abilities and you know just as you say you've got people coming from you know n- none of these are people who've kind of trained as athletes all their lives you know and that's i think that's what makes their stories so so interesting yeah you know? it just makes it accessible to people to think oh, yeah. do you know what maybe i can com- compete at that level um maybe i can turn my career in men's fashion photography into <laughs> <laughs> yeah. running an ultra an ultra store and yeah, we've got um, Thaddeus Lawrence coming up soon as well. Who's done the uh, Who's done the Four Deserts? He's a yeah, he's really inspirational dude. I, I, the thing I love about him is he's like a business coach as well, and he's just a. It's got this amazing energy and aura about him. So um, yeah, he's a another amazing Singaporean. That's a, a great a great story to share. But um, but yeah, keep keep the recommendations coming, um, Mr. Rick Stockvis. Thank you very much. Thanks, Scott. Okay. Talk to you again soon. Talk to you soon. The Endurance Asia Podcast. Yo, pick your red up because things ain't that bad. Maybe you should switch the target that you're aiming at. Believe perfection is a beast that they'll never catch. So never waste another day because life moves so fast. And a dream without pursuing, yo, they never last. Another shadow of regret I've tried to never cast. And always tell a truthful story if they ever ask. Stop the complaining because things ain't that bad. Things ain't that bad. Things ain't that bad. Things ain't that bad.